Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. While I preached from this pulpit a handful of times as a layperson and a seminarian, this morning marks the first time that I do so as a member of the clergy of this parish. And it's been quite the journey to get here. Back in September of 2014, I was brand new to New York City, getting my Master's of Education up at Teachers College, and not planning to be here for more than a year at most. On the recommendation of my little brother, I walked into Calvary Church for the 6 p.m. service. I talked to Jake on the way in. I met Jason and Rebecca Wallen during coffee hour, and I don't really remember much else from that day. But I do know that if you had told me then that I would be standing in this pulpit a little less than eight years later, ordained and in full-time ministry at that same parish, I would have thought you were a little nuts. But I am glad that God has a sense of humor and takes us down paths that we never could have dreamed up for ourselves. And I'm glad that he has brought me back here with my husband, Andrew, to this parish and to you all. And perhaps the moral of that story is, if you're new here this week and you like your life the way it is, try to avoid the Wallens during coffee hour. <laughs> One danger of a parable like the Good Samaritan is that it can become so familiar to us that we cease to hear and feel how startling it really is. We've heard many times of the dusty desert road from Jerusalem to Jericho and the unfortunate traveler who was robbed and left for dead. We have raised an eyebrow more than once at the priest and the Levite who care more about being ritually pure than about a man dying on the road. We've applauded the Samaritan for his courage, his compassion, and his generosity. And we have perhaps even imagined ourselves as him, selflessly putting our neighbor before ourselves if we ever happened to be on that same desert road and saw a lifeless body lying there. So I want to reframe this parable a little to bring it closer to home. How many times as New Yorkers have we wandered through our neighborhood and passed a body curled up under newspaper or covered in a ragged blanket? Perhaps not obviously beaten and left for dead, but rather smelling of urine, surrounded by dirty belongings in bulging sacks, with no obvious signs of life. Eh, he's probably just passed out from a bender, we think to ourselves, and move quickly on, maybe stepping off the curb into the street as we pass, not wanting to risk getting lice or COVID, not wanting to miss that appointment. Just the other day, I was talking with Janet about what it's like to be back in New York City after being gone for three years. And she remarked on how there is this unique mindset that New Yorkers have to have in order to handle walking by the type of suffering that lies on our streets. The fact of the matter is, 
we are the priest and the Levite in this parable day in and day out. It's impossible not to be. So what do we do with this? I could zero in on Jesus' closing words where he says, go and do likewise. But let's face it. We all know what would happen if I told us to all be the Good Samaritan to every homeless person in New York City to start putting band-aids on their cuts and bruises while they sleep, to find them all hotel rooms, to get them all doctors. Most of us, myself included, would simply walk a little faster next time in hopes that that feeling of guilt in our gut would disappear a little more quickly. The need in this city is so huge that it becomes overwhelming. And it's not that works of charity and neighborly love are not important. They are very important. Only the most hard-hearted can read the Bible and not hear the message of love your neighbor as yourself ring out from its pages. The problem is that the brokenness of our world is so deep that we can't address it ourselves. And this is seen especially in the racial and socioeconomic injustice that is everywhere around us. The healing of our world requires that it be turned upside down. So for this parable to mean something, it must be more than a call to be a good person. I want to consider priest and theologian Robert Farrar Capone's interpretation of this parable. He argues that the hero of this story is not the Good Samaritan, but rather the man who is beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And for Capone, that half-dead, unnamed person is not just the hero, but also the Christ figure of the parable. This is pretty counterintuitive, so to understand this interpretation, you have to know that Capone, as a theologian, is committed to the complete reversal of the concepts of winning and losing. Jesus Christ won our salvation for us not by playing by the world's rules, and not by being successful, and not by being on top but he won us our salvation by disregarding power and prestige and money and everything else the world thinks important and by dying the death of a convicted criminal in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. Jesus Christ came not as the wealthy and powerful, but as the least of these. He put himself at the mercy of human beings and we beat him up and left him dead. Jesus came that way and suffered what he did because of how deeply broken the world was. Our world didn't need a top-down solution. Our world needed a God who would enter into the very heart of its suffering, who would experience it from the viewpoint of the least of these, and who through his own suffering and eventual death, would begin to heal it from the inside out. 
Jesus Christ's willingness to identify with the half-dead man on the side of the road is the very heart of where our salvation comes from. But if the Christ figure is the half-dead man, then do we still identify with the Good Samaritan? Because clearly we don't care for and heal the wounds of Jesus. But Capone points out that when the Good Samaritan took care of the wounded and beaten man, he associated himself with the man's wounds and losses. The Samaritan paid money, missed valuable travel time, got sidetracked from his business. In essence, he also experienced loss, and in that loss, a woundedness and a death of some sort. In the same way, when we come to Christ, when we surrender ourselves to his love and mercy, we experience his death with him. In this surrender, we admit that playing by the world's rules of power and prestige gets us nowhere, and that it is only through acknowledging the power of Christ's death that we find healing. In this, we are crucified, die, and are resurrected in his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. If Jesus wins by becoming the least of these, then we also win by becoming the least of these. When we associate ourselves with Christ, our winning becomes losing, and our losing becomes winning. Christ has turned the world upside down in his death and resurrection, and we cannot help but be caught up in that. Capone puts it this way, quote, what is to be imitated in the Samaritan's action is not his moral uprightness in doing good deeds, but his spiritual insight into the truly bizarre working of the mystery of redemption. The lawyer is told by Jesus, in effect, to stop trying to live and to be willing to die, to be willing to be lost rather than to be found, to be, in short, a neighbor to the one who, in the least of his brethren, is already neighborhood to the whole world of losers." End quote. <clears throat> and in this, the temptation as a new deacon and new clergy is either to think that I can meet everyone's needs or to think that I'm horrible for not meeting everyone's needs. But in fact, Jesus asks much more of me than that. He asks that I trust that he is in control of healing the world and that because he is faithful and he has called each one of us and he will do the healing. And when we surrender to Christ, we find ourselves in the midst of this neighborhood of the least and the lost. We are no longer surrounded by earthly power or prestige or driven by earthly definitions of success. Our people become the vulnerable and the needy. 
the 19th century poet William Cutter describes this beautifully in a poem which we're about to hear in the offertory anthem. The fainting poor whose eye with want is dim. They who drink the cup when sorrow drowns the brim. The ones enslaved, fettered in mind and limb. If our Savior comes to us as the unimportant, as the weak and the vulnerable, as the bottom of society, then when we walk by that homeless person lying in the midst of a New York City street, we walk by Christ. And that is earth-shattering. That is the redemptive mystery that has the power to upend and change our world. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.